0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew, chapter six, we'll be finish up chapter six today, chapter six, verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Allow me to read this passage. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as what you will put on. Is not life more than uh, food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are not much more than they. And who are you being worried can add a single hour of his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself, Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts to the truths of your word. And Lord, help us to take seriously this subject of worry. Help us, Lord, to to replace it by faith. Faith in you as our Lord and Savior and as our God. Lord, may we trust you in every area of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. George, would you mind turning this part down? I think I can get a little feedback. I don't know if it's me or the other. Okay? Maybe it's just me. Let me lower this down just a little. If we look at the very first part, it says, for this reason. Well, what reason is that? You have to go back to verse 24 and see what the reason is. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So basically what Jesus himself is teaching here is that we must see that God is God. He is our only God, and we cannot replace Him with anything else. We cannot replace Him with our wealth or our abilities or anything else. Jesus did something very unique. I've shared this several times before. We're dealing with what is called the, Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And the first part of it began with what we call the Beatitudes, the Blessed Blessed are you when you do these things. and As you go through the Beatitudes, you see what it means to become a child of God, how you have to have expressed faith in Christ. You have to realize that we have nothing to offer God and that we're sinners, that we have to place our our faith in Him. And so once we learn how to become a child of God, uh, Beatitudes continue and show us how we ought to have the attributes of God, to live out the characters of God. And then after the Beatitudes, Jesus begins to share with us the, the understanding that just because He is now coming and we're going to be living in this new relationship with God through Him, that the Old Commandments, the, new te- I mean the, the Ten Commandments are not void. He says every one of them is still in place. And so He is telling us that we must keep His commandments. Not only the, the letter of the law, but the heart of the law as well. And He shared with us through that. And then He said... Make sure you're not like the Pharisees or those who who go through the motions of spirituality, but they do it because they want to be seen and heard and praise themselves. Instead, humble yourself before the Lord as you do these things. And he shows us how to have a right relationship with the Lord as we have our times of prayer, as we give, and as we have our, our devotion to the Lord. And so then he tells us not to not to compare him with material things, don't let material things, don't let the things on this earth, the fleshly things to become our God. And so now he is telling us, don't worry. Don't worry. In other words, God keeps his promises. Verse 25 begins, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried. Go down to verse 31. Do not worry. Go down to verse 34. So do not worry. You think he has something he wants to tell us? Now, if you notice that many times in scriptures, there's only like a one time that uh, whoever is preaching, this time it's Jesus himself, says something, and we know that it's important because it's in the Word of God. But in this brief passage, he tells us three specific times, do not worry. So let me ask you something. If you worry, what is it? It's called disobedience to God, disobedience to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and disobedience to Him is called sin. So worry is nothing less than sin. I'm just telling you point blank, worry is sin. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm just concerned. Well, there is a level of concern, there's a level of, you know we have to plan for the future, we have to be prepared to deal with life situations. But here's a simple thing I've tried to live out my life, I've tried to share with other people. Trust God, trust God. If you trust God with your livelihood, if you trust God with your eternity, if you trust God with your salvation, Can't you trust God with the day-to-day things in life? If you believe that God can give you wisdom, guidance, knowledge, and understanding as you study his word, he will also give you that same wisdom, knowledge, guidance, and understanding in how to deal with each and every issue of life. As he gives you that guidance, then do what he is showing you to do, and then trust God. Trust God for the outcome. It sounds simple, I know it's difficult. Some people have a, a, an innate tendency to worry. But we look and we see that Jesus goes on and he just begins by talking about the basics. Verse 25 says, "'Do not worry about your life as to what you eat, "'what do you drink, nor for your body, "'for what you will put on. "'Is not life more than food, "'and your body more than clothing? Well, we look at these three basics of life, food, water, and clothing. Notice it doesn't say shelter. A lot of people add that in as a basic necessity. It really isn't. Many people in Jesus' day did not own a home. They may have a tent or something like that that they used as they traveled around, but there were many professions that they lived outdoors, shepherds. The the people who are in the trade uh, business, they basically travel from one city and one town to another, uh, selling their goods. They may have had a tent, but we're not talking about a home. A lot of people are in today says that it is your human right to have a home, a house. No, Jesus didn't have one, so why should we have to have one? So he looks at the three basic things: food, water, and clothing. Now, food. I don't see anybody here that looks like you're starving. I think he's already provided that, hasn't he? Water, I don't think anybody in here is dehydrated to the point where you're about to pass out. So he's provided that, hasn't he? I don't see anybody here naked either. So he obviously has provided that. Now we look at Jesus' day, and I shared this I think last week or the week before. Typically, on the average, person only had an extra change of clothes. Basically, a man would have one tunic that he was wearing and another tunic that he could change into while the other one was drip drying from uh, washing it in in the river or the creek or something. He had probably only one outer garment, a cloak, and a pair of sandals. That was it. I don't think anybody had walk-in closets with thousands of shoes. The need, the basic need is taken care of. So first thing Jesus says is don't worry about the basics. I'll provide for them. Well, we look and we see why are we so anxious about life that is so simple? First thing is it shows that we're unfaithful to our master when we fret, when we worry about the little basics of life as well as life itself. We're basically saying, I don't think I can trust God to take care of this. I don't think I can trust him with all the little things that I deal with. Notice in verse uh, 26, it says, what you shall uh, do not worry about your life. Now, the word life there is kind of an all-inclusive word. It really describes life in general, both physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. So it basically encompasses all of life, not just food and uh, water and clothing. It's every aspect of life. Now, if Jesus is saying, don't worry about life, and he says, you know, I'm taking care of the basics, if he takes care of the basics, and he takes care of the huge things like salvation, and eternal life, and life with him in glory, you think he can take care of the things in between? Well, he can. He promises that he is faithful. So when we uh, look at this, uh, what we really take out of this passage is that worry is sin. When Jesus point blank tells us not to do it, and we do it, it's called sin. Now, worry in itself, the word worry comes from a Greek, I mean a German word in our vocabulary, and it actually means to strangle or to choke. So worry is actually strangling us, choking us emotionally so that we cannot really function in life. And as a result, we tend to have emotional distress and that can also turn into physical distress. So I think uh, what I encounter a lot in counseling and talking with others is that a lot of worry is really immaterial. A lot of worry is about the what ifs. What if this happens? What if this happens? How will I deal with it? Well, has it happened? Do you know that it's going to happen? No then why are you worried about it? And even if it is going to happen, why are you worried about it? Well, somebody a whole lot bigger than you is in control if you allow him to be. If we live a surrendered life where God is in control of our thoughts, our desires, our words, and our deeds, guess what's going to happen when we face the trials of life? He's going to guide us through it. Now, Does that mean that God takes away the the pain and the suffering? Does God always just magically get us out of the trial immediately? Absolutely not. Over in James, he says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you face these trials, these times of tribulation. Why? Because it helps you to grow in patience and knowledge and understanding of me. It helps you to grow in your faith. So God allows us to go through a lot of trials in life for one reason so that we will grow in our faith and trust in him. So when we deal with the what ifs, there really should not be any reason to worry about what may or may not happen. We simply need to say, God, whatever my future holds, I know you hold the future and I trust in you. It really comes down to a word that we sometimes use, contentment. It's not a word we probably use a lot, but it's a pretty good word in this situation. We need to find contentment in where we are in our relationship with the Lord. Paul, in two different passages, shares how he found contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, let me share what he says. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both in having abundance and suffering need. Then over in First Timothy chapter six, verses six and eight through eight, he tells this young man that he has placed as a pastor, young Timothy, but godliness actually is means of great gain when accompanied by contentment for we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content." Now folks, you may say, well, Apostle Paul was this huge statue of Christianity. Apostle Paul suffered. He had many, many, many trials in his life. Every place he went, he was either ran out of town, he was beaten, He was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, and then later was executed. Folks, I don't think any of us would probably stand in line to change places with Paul. So we can't say, well, he had it made. No, he had much that he could have easily worried about, but instead he always found contentment. That's why he and Silas could sing songs of praise when they were in a deep, dark dungeon because of their faith. So we look and we see Christian contentment can only be found when God is master of our life. So how can we be sure that God can provide for our needs? First, he owns everything. Tell me something that God doesn't own. He created every single molecule in the world, in the galaxy, in the universe. He owns it all. It is his because he created it. Not only did he create it and own it, but he also controls it. It just fascinates me to to look at our our simple solar system, the sun and however many planets you want to claim today revolving around each other, and each planet with moons, and everything just stays in these unique little orbits, and they, they orbit themselves, and they orbit the sun, and it's just fascinating. But God is in control of every aspect in the entire universe. And if he keeps all the planets and all the stars and all the things in the sky in order, you think he can take care of little things that we need? Obviously he can. He is in control of everything. He has some wisdom, power, and authority over all things. Third, he also provides everything. And we're going to look at that as we continue to, to, to study this passage. But there's a name that God went by or was called in the Old Testament, Jehovah-Jireh. Now, you're not going to find it in the Scriptures. It's, it's the Hebrew word for God that was mentioned in a passage that dealt with Abraham and Isaac. You remember the story? God told Abraham to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him could he do that? But he did. He piled the sticks upon Isaac's back. They climbed up the mountain to the place of the sacrifice. He built the altar, and Isaac must have been a pretty uh, sharp guy. He said, Father, I see the wood. You've got the knife, but where's the lamb? All that Abraham could say is, the Lord will provide Abraham laid Isaac on that altar and took the knife ready to sacrifice him. And God said, stop. You've proven that I can trust you to be my servant. And immediately they looked up and there was a ram caught in the thicket. God provided. And if God provides in all these other circumstances, can he provide for us? Do you remember the Israelites after they fled from Egypt? God provided he provided the manna from the sky every morning they find it out on the ground he provided water from a rock if he can do that why should we ever doubt that he can provide for us so if God can provide for our basic needs then we should not worry and also the second thing is worry is unnecessary God provides for his creation And Jesus mentioned this. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at them. Do they worry about food? He says, they do not sow. They don't don't go out and dig a hole and plant seed. They don't reap and gather into barns. And yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Now there's a lot of different birds and they eat a lot of different things. But it's amazing how the birds that eat thistles and seeds can find thistles and seeds when they need it. The birds that need worms or insects can find those. If not, God gives them this innate ability to to migrate or to travel and find what they need. Now, notice one thing. God doesn't say, okay, birds, y'all just sit on a limb and I'll bring the food to you. No, it says they go out and they gather what they need and they're satisfied. They have to work. They had to go out. They had to glean the fields so that they can get what they need. But God provides their needs. God also clothes. Now, Jesus uses another example. He talks about the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. In other words, they don't work. They're not sitting at a spinning wheel trying to come up with something to cover the earth with. No, God naturally brings beauty upon this earth. Now, there's some beautiful uh, plants that you can go to the garden shop and purchase, but there are some incredibly beautiful wildflowers. And this is kind of what uh, God Jesus is talking about. He says, you know, you've got these barren hills. They've just got grass and hay and, you know. But God springs up these beautiful flowers to cover it and to create a clothing for His earth. And if God can do that, can He take care of us? Now, again... He's not telling us, like the birds, He's not telling us just to sit and wait for somebody to bring us food, nor is He telling us just to sit and wait for somebody to bring us clothes. There's an expectation for us to work. There's an expectation for us to glean what is necessary. Uh, The Bible even says, if you shall not work, neither shall you eat. So there's an expectation that we are to work and to earn and to gather and to do what is needed. To cover us, but God is the one who provides that ability to do that. He also provides the resources for us to do that. So, Jesus says, you know, the grass and the flowers are here today and they're gone tomorrow. They're they're taken up and they're burned in the in the fire. I was wondering why why does he talk about you know they're burn? You know, these beautiful things they're not going to last for very long. Uh, the the you know, rye grass will spring up early in the spring and then by the heat of the summer it's going to die away and so it's going to be brown. The, the beautiful wildflowers don't last forever. They will die away. And it says that these will be taken and thrown into the furnace. And he says, I go, Why? What, what's he talking about? So I had to do a little research. And basically, the women who provided the bread, which bread was a a major sustenance for the people in that day. When they needed to make bread, what they did is that they stoked a fire underneath the oven so that the oven would get to a temperature and stay at that temperature. But the inside of the oven would be cold for quite a while. And so what they would do is they would take this type of material, the dry grass, the dry flowers, and put it inside the oven and light it, and it would make a hot, quick fire and it would heat up the inside of the oven. And as soon as it died off, they would just rake out the ashes and the oven would be heated and would stay at that temperature so they could make their bread. So God has it all worked out. He helps us to have all the resources we need and everything. I've shared with you many times that I, uh, I read the devotion by A.W. Tozer every morning. And let me just share one that he shared with me this week. He says for years I have made a practice of writing many of my earnest prayers to God in a little book, a book now well-worn. I still turn often to the petitions I recorded in that book. I remind God often of what my prayers have been. One prayer in the book and God knows it well by this time for I have prayed it often goes like this. Oh God, let me die rather than go on day by day living wrong. I do not want to be careless, a careless, fleshly old man. I want to be right so that I can die right. Lord, I do not want my life to be extended if it means that I should cease to live right and fail in my mission to glorify you all my days. Did you know that God numbers our days? Jesus says, by worrying, are you going to extend your life by a cubit? Are you, is there any way that you can... Add to your life by worrying. You know, just the opposite is really true. For those who tend to be worrisome, fretful, typically their lives are cut short because of that. Because many times this worrisome attitude creates physical problems. Mental, physical, emotional, all of it. And I think what Jesus is saying is, worry is not going to help you a bit. It's not going to add anything to life. It's going to take life away from you. Not only physical life, but life abundant and free. Because Jesus says, I want to give you life. And I want you to give, to give you abundant life. And I want you to give a life that's lived for me. If we're not trusting in the Lord, then we're sinning against Him by worrying. This really comes down to this simple message. We're either living by fear or by faith. Fear of the unknown, fear of what I'm facing today, fear of what I may face tomorrow, and how am I going to deal with it, or faith. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to face, or what I'm facing right now, I may not know exactly how to best deal with it, but I trust you. So it's either fear, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, how am I going to get through this, how am I ever going to get through this, what about tomorrow, what happens then, all these worries and fretfulness, you're living by fear. The exact same thing's going to happen to you one way or another. You're either going to live by fear or you're going to live by faith. Lord, I see the challenges that I face today. And I pray that you'll give me that wisdom and understanding so that I can make the wise decisions that are godly. Even if they're not popular with other people, I want to make the right decision and do the right thing. I want to live for you regardless of the consequences. So Lord, whatever it is I'm facing today, I trust you to guide me, to give me the words to say, to know what to do, whatever the situation may be, I trust you. So when we trust the Lord, he shows us how to live, how to live faithfully. And verses 31 through 34, basically deals with that God is faithful. I want to just kind of close by trying to solve this false reason why people think that they need to worry. Do you believe that God created you? Seriously. Do you believe that God created you? According to the scriptures, You were, God knew you before the time began. And he created you and knitted you together in your mother's womb. He has known you all eternity. That's, that's hard for me to understand. But we're here because God created us. Do you believe that God provides redemption from our sins? Well, if you're a child of God, you do, because we place our faith in Jesus as the propitiation of our sins, the one who died in our place for our sins. So yes, God has provided redemption from our sins. Do you believe that God has given you His gift of eternal life? A part of what Jesus did after he died on the cross and was laid in the tomb, is that he rose again from the dead. Two things come out of that. Number one, he proved that God had approved his sacrifice, that he truly had died in the place of our sins, and he had overcome the penalty of sin in our lives. But he also came to live again, to live forever. And according to the scriptures, he gives us his gift of eternal life. So do we believe that God has given us his gift of eternal life. According to a passage in John, it says that as I leave you, I go to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that Jesus is preparing a place for you in heaven for all of eternity? Well, if you can trust God with all this, why can't you trust God with what you're facing today and tomorrow? If you can trust God to obviously keep you fed and clothed, why can't you trust God with everything else? So we go from the simple basics of food, water, and clothing to eternity, salvation, eternal life, a place for us created specifically for us in heaven. Everything from the beginning, ABCs, to the end, Omega. Everything in between. Is in God's hands. Can you trust Him with ABCs, the basics? Can you trust Him with eternity? If you can, then you can trust Him with life in between. Think about that. Is there any reason to worry? If you can come up with one, then you're basically telling that Jesus is a liar because He says, do not worry. Three times in this brief passage, so you're calling him a liar if you can come up with a reason to worry. I, I was curious, I Googled or did a search, I don't use Google, I use something else, but I did a search on how many decisions does the average person make in a day? Anybody want to guess? 35,000 decisions per day on average. What? Well, just think. When the alarm clock goes off, you either decide to either hit it, the snooze button, or get up. Okay, what do you do when you get up? Well, do I go to the bathroom first? Do I go comb my hair? Do I go eat breakfast? Do I take a shower? All the, I mean, you've got multitudes of decisions every single moment of your day. You know, most of them we don't even think about, do we? This is kind of automatic, what we're going to do. There's a lot of them we go, I don't really know what to do. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? Go to the one who does know what to do. Our Lord. He knows what to do in every situation. Even if we find ourselves in the midst of trials, He's not going to say, you know, if you'd just done something else, you wouldn't be in that trial. A lot of trials are for our own good so that we can exercise our faith and our trust in Him. When we look... And we believe that God can take care of the basics. Food, water, and clothing. And he can take care of eternity. Salvation, eternal life, and a place in heaven. Why can't we trust him with everything in between? There's no reason not to. God is faithful. And God is able. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, it is so easy for us to worry. To fret about things that may or may not even happen. To worry about the things that we're facing in life even right now. Lord, we know that there are very difficult situations that people find themselves in. Lord, our hearts go out for the families who have lost loved ones. For those who are uh, dealing with catastrophic illnesses. Lord, we know that this is very difficult. Lord, you're going to be there with them. You'll be their strength, their comfort, and their peace every step of the way as long as they surrender to you and allow you to to do your work in their life. Lord, you'll give them wisdom. You'll give us wisdom, guidance, knowledge, understanding of what we ought to do no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Lord, if we can trust you with the basics of food, water, and clothing, then we can trust you with our eternity our salvation. And Lord, we can trust you with everything. Help us, Lord, to live in faith and not in fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.